0: right in this place. So we're just praising God for the new ways he's moving and how we're only getting started. We're only getting started. So with that said, I don't know what your falls look like, but as ministries begin to kick back up, I'm even looking at some of my ministry leaders in the room, man, get involved. Don't let your family of grace just be a Sunday. Find a ministry to get involved, men's ministry, women's ministry, Definitely student ministry and young adults. Kids ministry, they need volunteers, worship team, find a way to continue to grow your faith through service. And another way that you can do that, September 11th, September 11th. If you don't know what the Dream Center is, First of all, I don't know what you're doing, but the Dream Center is the other 75% of our property. And it is a bunch of free, nonprofit, beautiful, uh, everyday functioning ministries that are feeding people in need, giving away clothes for free. People can literally go shop and they're just giving bags to take. We give away couches. We give away like all just craziness. We have a free gym. We have all this stuff going on up there. And on September 11th, You're invited to come dream with us, uh, to see what the future holds. We're casting vision for what we're going to do with that giant space. Like we have big plans for renovating that entire giant uh, to the glory of God. All right. So check this out September 11th after first service. All right. All right. Promotional plugs done. All right. Turn to a neighbor and say amen. All right, y'all, I'm going to intro you where we're going. Go ahead and flip open to Genesis 27. Genesis 27, I'm going to give you a little um, kind of reminder of where we've walked as well as where we're going. Uh, How many of you studied Genesis 27 ahead of time? Just, you know, keep it it 100 with me, be honest. 12 of you, beautiful, beautiful. The rest of you can leave now. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. Uh, If you did read it, if I were to give you one word to describe it, I'm just gonna fill the word in for you. Weird, okay? Um, and, and I was studying through Genesis 27, and frankly, I was like, "Oh my goodness, Jesus! Like, <laughs> they did this on purpose. Like, what? Who? Who? Where are we going with this? What? What could we possibly pull out from this? It just seems like this crazy story of of all over the place and yet that's just never ever ever what god's word is huh god's word is never confusion god's a god of clarity god has um just points and things that we can take and pull from that are in every single word if we're listening to the one who wrote it okay um so uh i just need you to turn to a neighbor real quick i need you to high five them and say it's game time all right right now find a neighbor High five them, turn, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Now I need you to listen, I need you to make eye contact, direct eye contact with somebody in a different section. Just find them, make eye contact. I'm talking, you can see what color uh, pupils, well, no, whatever the colorful part is called. I used to be biology major, it's fine. Um, Look at them, make eye contact and say, hey. All right, all right, cool, cool, we're gonna get into it. So last week, last week, um, Mark uh, so awesomely kind of taught us through Genesis 26, right, and, and here's a little bit what we talked about, these comparisons between Isaac and Abraham, and I'm gonna give you a little bit more of context for anybody that's new to the study, but um, comparisons with Isaac and Abraham, right, There, these patriarchal figures that we hear about no matter what churches you've been a part of and you, or whatever, you're gonna hear about these guys, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, all these different people, And it was so interesting how Mark went about it. He tied in um, like how heritage and lineages and how you're raised and, and your past will so often tie into how you act currently. He talked about these ideas of heritage of faith and heritage of sin and how uh, if you come from a family of faith, you're way more likely to be a person of faith naturally. But in the same breath, if you come from certain types of sin backgrounds, you come from people that have certain types of addictions or, or habits or whatever, you, you're infinitely, not infinitely, you're much more likely to maybe struggle with some of these things, right? And <clears throat> we looked at Isaac and Isaac in chapter 26, he fails identically to the way Abraham had just a few chapters before. Like eerily identically just offers his wife up and is like, that's my sister, whatever, you know? And it's just, it does, it's weird, we know that it's wrong and we see that Abraham had just done that too. And we kind of broke down that all of us have this temptation and reality of choosing to make mistakes or even have faith as our families did um, but we have the opportunity to grow and to create new legacies, right? And, and he talked about this idea that your disobedience doesn't disqualify God's blessing on you. And we're going to get to uh, that a whole bunch today. So I think it ties in really well. Uh, but so much, I think what it did is it reemphasized what this entire study of Genesis has been. Is that it's God's story, his pen not ours and the minute we try start to trying to write it it just isn't good the story's bad we're about to read genesis 27 it's a bad story they wrote the whole thing it's ugly i'm gonna explain that i'm gonna explain that but we see this more in genesis 27 this idea of of kind of the 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 brokenness that can be brought through and what we can learn from it, and that's where we're going today. But a quick overview for, for a bunch of chapters is we, we see Abraham and Sarah, right? Over a bunch of chapters and we studied them and we start getting into Isaac's life. And Isaac is like the promised child and we've been waiting for him. And now we're seeing Isaac's children, right? So we're starting to walk in these generations and seeing how they each act and how they go about things. Esau's the firstborn. So he's actually the one who culturally should receive what they call the birthright, And it's a big deal. To get a birthright from your father culturally at the time meant two primary things. One, you were getting a double portion of the inheritance. These were not poor people, by the way, okay? Isaac was wealthy, Abraham was wealthy. They owned a lot of land and cattle and money and all this stuff. So he's getting, uh, Esau should be getting double as well. He basically gets uh, to kind of be the head honcho. Like he's in charge of the family. He, He gets that mantle, right? So it's a big deal. And what we saw in chapter 25 was that God tells Rebecca something very different. God tells Rebecca while she's pregnant with these two children, children of the promise of God's covenant, of who Jesus is eventually going to come from, says, hey, hey, it's not going to be like that. The oldest is actually going to serve the youngest. And that's very countercultural at the time. That's even uh, uh, religiously kind of can throw you up and get you tied in a knot because that's not really how it's supposed to be. And we see that and then here in chapter 27 what we're reading is how that actually takes place. Like how the oldest serving the youngest actually takes place. And and now while birthrights and family hierarchy really aren't much of a thing anymore and you might be in the room and you're like, Phil, we're six minutes in and you just are talking about things that I don't give a crap about. You know, you might be, you might be. And and I want us to lean in here and I want us to challenge ourselves that why birthrights and family hierarchy really aren't much of a thing anymore, If God wrote it, there's immense value in it. If God wrote it, there's immense value in it, and we should read all scripture that way. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. We're gonna believe God's word to be transformative in our lives, whether it's the pretty passages or the seemingly weird ones, uh, and we're gonna believe God's gonna do that, all right? So pray with me. Jesus, um, God, I'm just thankful for your presence in the room. God, it's never been about if you're here. It's always been about are we paying attention? So would you just help us be aware of your presence in the room right now? I pray for every person sitting in every seat right now, that we would know no one here is here on accident, that you have something for us, that you create uh, divinely every single moment of our lives and you have something for us in every moment. So would we leave today, not just feeling like we attended another church service, but that we encountered God, learned from his word and want to walk differently. We thank you, Father, that's how you so often choose to work. And we're believing for that today, God. Would you illuminate Genesis 27 to us in a new way that we learn something fresh, God. We love you. We trust you. And all God's people sang, amen. Come on now. Come on now. Listen, I just made direct eye contact with a woman over there who is, we're still looking at each other. And she's mad that I'm looking at her still. But she started singing halfway through. <laughs> Love you, sister. All right. Uh, I, I make you guys sing amen. and I'm going to say probably every single day to the day I die, whenever I preach. If you don't like singing the word amen, which means, yes, I agree, Jesus. You will not like heaven because it's going to be a lot of us singing that. <laughs> amen, somebody. Amen. All right. Come on. Now we're up to a 43% energy meter. I'm going to get y'all to at least 90% believe me this morning, all right? And that coffee will kick in about 11.42 that you just chugged, all right. All right, so we're going to read, y'all. I apologize, but I don't. I don't. We're going to read all of Genesis 27. Here's why we're going to do it. Because I was studying Genesis 27, as I mentioned, and I was like, no. No, I don't want to read any of this out loud. And God's like, that's exactly why you're going to read all of it. And I said, amen, Jesus. That's why I serve you and not me. Okay? So here we go. It's going to be up on the screens for you. I'd encourage you to open it for yourself. We're going to start in chapter 26, verse 34. This is a pretty large chunk, but we're just going to read through this whole story so we get context ahead of time. So here we go. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Biri the Hittite, and also base math. Pause. Let's pause for a second. Anybody pregnant in the room? Anybody having a daughter? I have a name suggestion. Base math. It's biblical if anybody asks, okay? All right, let's continue. Base math, daughter of Elon the Hittite, they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebecca. We're gonna go back to that later. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau's older son, and he said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, And go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you blessing before I die. Just pause, and we might pause periodically because it is a lot. Uh, The dysfunction, I feel like, has just already started because he's basically requiring his son to make him a meal before he'll bless him. So it's just, we're already there. We're getting there quick. All right, verse five. Now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Problem number two, she's eavesdropping because she doesn't trust him. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, I have overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game And prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. This is literally, I looked into the word tasty in like Greek and it pretty much translates to tasty, which is interesting. Which is a funny word, I feel like. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau was a hairy man, we've talked about that, while I have smooth skin, what if my father touches me? I'd appear to be tricking him and would bring a curse down on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me, just do what I say, go and get them for me. So he went and he got them, brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau from her older son, stealing, which she has had in the house, and put them on her younger son son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Now we're getting weird. Then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and bread she had made. He went to his father and he said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that I may give you your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really Esau or not. Like he's already fishy about this. I don't know how he hasn't already figured it out. Verse 22... Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of the brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him, and he kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of the clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like a smell of a field. Um, if you guys want to talk to your kids like this, here, you can take it right out of here. Um, that the Lord is blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be lowered over your brothers. <clears throat> and may, Imagine saying that to one of your kids. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's present, his brother Esau came in from hunting. So he's back now, missed the whole party. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently, understandably. And said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Jacob means deceiver, by the way. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I've made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I've sustained him with grain and a new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And he wept out loud. His father, Isaac, answered him, your dwelling will be away from earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by sword and you will serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge naturally against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Y'all, if you're tracking, like, this just gets weirder by the sentence. When Rebecca was told what her older son had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau was planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother's no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. Uh, Anybody got daughter-in-law problems? You can relate to this story if you do. Um, If Jacob takes a wife from among women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Whose life has changed? Come on, anybody? Testimonies of just right now, (laughs) I just changed a whole life. (laughs) Oh, no, okay. (laughs) Let's just quickly recap what we just read, okay? Uh, Here we go. Esau marries multiple women, (laughs) problem number one, who were a grief to his parents. Rebecca encourages her younger son to trick her husband. They steal his clothes. They just dress Jacob up in goat fur. Isaac is blind and in my opinion, maybe slightly senile, because he somehow falls for all this. So Jacob gets the blessing, then Esau comes back and Isaac is furious and Esau's weeping. It's a whole Mari Povish hot mess. And then Esau plans to kill Jacob. So Rebecca keeps her favoritism going and tells him to run away. And to top it all off, we're told again how much Rebecca dislikes her daughter-in-laws. Did someone come prepared with the points for this message? All I could think after reading this is I was like, man, oprah got to get involved or something. Thank God my family is not this dysfunctional. Like everything just screams Mari, you know what I mean? And yet, even though we've now read through story after story after story in Genesis of dysfunction and confusion and disobedience, this is still God's covenant and promised people. That was like the first thing I thought when I read through this massive amount of dysfunction. I was like, this, these are the people God chose for Jesus to come from. There has to be something important here to learn from. And this is not only still the story of, of the covenant and the promise, but, but it would eventually lead to the salvation of the entire world. And I'm just going to get right to it. My first point for you guys that I think we can pull out of this is this. Oops, you're ahead of the game, bro. God continues to function amidst our dysfunction. God continues to dis... We just read 47 verses of horrible dysfunction. 48 verses. Let's add one. 48 verses of horrible dysfunction. And yet it's still part of the most important plan in the history of ever. Do you know that God continues to function when all you see is dysfunction? I think that's something we do, and I think it's, it's an issue, uh, is that we look at the world, we see the craziness, we see the hurt, we see the confusion, maybe we look at our circles and what's going on in our life, and we tend to, whether or not we know it or even say it out loud, we said, well, if God's real, why would this be happening? If God's real, how could this be If God's real, like how could this be happening to this person? How could this If he's sovereign and he's in control and he's all good, how can there be so much dysfunction? When the real question I think is why do we do this? You know how many people I sit with when we're talking faith and maybe they're curious or they're new to church or um, you know they've seen me preach once and they're like, I just wanna have a conversation about it. Without a doubt, the most common thing I come across, and it's not close, is if God's good, then what about this? And if God's good, what about this? And I answer the same time like almost every time. And it's basically just like God's good amidst that. <clears throat> That does not dictate God's goodness. Your circumstance, in fact, has nothing to do with the perfection that is God. But I don't want to discount the fact that when we see that the world's messed up and we read a story like this that's messed up, I think we just need to lean into the reality that we see here is that it's not God that's messed up. We're at a 48% energy meter right now. We wonder what the heck, right? We read a story like this. Dude, why'd you just make us read 48 verses of absolute chaos? Because I think we can look at something like this and see the truth of that. What God is trying to show us is that since the beginning of history, his plan has been perfect and we've always been messed up. His plan has always been perfect. We've always been messed up. This type of dysfunction, which I don't know what your story looks like right now. I don't know what type of family drama you got. I don't know who made you feel bad on Facebook or whatever. I don't know. I'm not saying you don't got stuff going on. I don't think it looks like Genesis 27. (laughs) I don't think you showed up wearing goat skin to deceive somebody this morning. You know what I'm saying? I would hope your mother isn't like eavesdropping on your dad and telling you to flee the country. All right? And yet even in this level of dysfunction, God's plan is perfect and Jesus is going to come out of it. I don't know what you got in your life that you view as so dysfunctional that it discounts God. He's not interested in that type of thinking. What if the dysfunction you're walking through right now, whatever level that may look like, is actually part of God's perfect plan? I can't help but see the gospel when I read Genesis 27. I can't help it. I can't help but read the dysfunction and see Jesus all over it, why? Because it's a glaring testimony to how much we need him. I don't look at dysfunction anymore and think how could this be happening? That's a victim-weak mentality. I look at dysfunction in our lives and see our need for Jesus. Dysfunction in your life, messed up craziness in your life, confusion and disobedience in your life should do nothing else with a healthy faith walk than just point you infinitely more to the one who can save you from it. (sighs) I came ready, y'all. I don't know about y'all. I can't help but ask this question to tie it. How often have we blamed someone other than ourselves for the dysfunction in our lives? How often do we just point fingers at everybody else for what's going on in our life? They did this, they said that. The left says this and the right says that. You know, Well, they hurt me and they did that and they said bad things about me. Listen to me, I don't know about y'all, but I think that if we were way less focused on this and way more focused right here, dysfunction would barely look like dysfunction. Why? We'd expect it. It's been happening since the history of the world. Maybe your dysfunction is part of God's perfect plan. Man, listen, no self-help book is going to tell you that. You are not going to read an encouraging self-help book that's going to be like, hey, just sit in that mess because God's using it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They're going to say run for the hills, drop the toxic people, do you and make sure you get what's healthiest for you, mama. You know what I'm saying? That's what you need right now. No, you don't. You need Jesus. Somebody. And, and I want to be sensitive here because here's the reality. Almost every person, if not all of us, have, have been hurt. We have experienced things that were unfair. I've experienced things that were unfair. Like I've had people in my life do things that were not supposed to happen. I've had things that were broken that are, are meant to be whole. That That's happened to all of us. So I'm not discounting that. I'm not trying to be like insensitive about it. The reality is there probably are things you can't control. But let me ask you a question. Who's the only person you have control of? You, you, I'm gonna give you an example. Recently, I had a, a, a call to an altercation with an individual who I love, um, but we were just talking about stuff. We didn't agree on some stuff and I felt they were kind of saying some stuff to me that I didn't really like to be frank, kind of coming after me type of deal. And uh, uh, it got heated, you know what I'm saying? Punched him in the face and that's how it ended. So that was the story. No, so it, we, uh, we got, a, got a little whatever and, and we kind of broke off. And to be frank, I didn't think I did a single thing wrong sound familiar, anybody? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We never do. Uh, So, but genuinely, I was like, I I only owned about 3% of this, you know? So I get home, right? I wouldn't think I was home. I think it was here, actually. I get into my office, and almost immediately, God was like, go apologize. And I was like, for what? (laughs) They're wrong. And he just, he just whispered, like, who's the person you got control over, Phil? Who do you want to be? Man, I had to, go to this person and apologize. And I was waiting for them to be like, what are you apologizing for? They didn't say that, man. They clearly thought I had something to apologize for. They didn't apologize back. You know what I learned? That's okay, that's okay. The only person I can control is me. In dysfunction in my life, I'm going to play the role that I can play understanding that it could be a part of God's perfect plan. It could be something amazing coming out of it. So if I just run away from it rather than modeling Jesus in it, I will miss something. Before you jump to your personal situations and maybe you're like Phil you just don't know what I've been through I don't for many of you that's true and yet I think we need to sit in the context here and we need to look at Jesus was he treated fairly come on somebody was he hurt was he betrayed was he broken was he literally murdered and yet he didn't let the dysfunction change the only plan that mattered what do you have going on in your life? What dysfunction, what distractions, what whatever that you are letting distract you from the only plan that matters, which is God's plan for you and the spreading of the kingdom of Jesus, you and his you a relationship, you and him growing, thriving until you meet him one day. What's distracting you from that? Because that's the dysfunction God does not have you in. You have you in that because you can step out. You, listen to me. Listen to me, you are only as involved in dysfunction as you let yourself be consumed by it. Man, Jesus was mistreated more than any of us ever and he didn't let that dysfunction change the only plan that mattered. In fact, he was able to ask God to forgive those who were actively killing him. The fact of the matter is that we read about Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob and their curbingly dysfunctional family, dysfunction isn't abnormal. It's been happening since day one. What if we got to a place where as God's people, we were not only not surprised by dysfunction, we understand it's a part of the process. We almost expect it, why? Because God's perfect and we're the worst. And when we understand that broken people will break things, hurt people will hurt people, you won't be as surprised when it comes. That's a mindset for a believing Christian. That is why you have uh, so many people around the world. I mean, listen, I don't need to go on statistics, but things like missionaries. Dude, there aren't missionaries outside the, you know, like other faiths aren't, faiths aren't evangelistic in nature. right? So like, why is it that Christians are the ones going to try to spread? The, why is it that like 90% of worldwide charities are, why because when God's people really meet the true God, something changes and it spreads across the world. There's a reason there's 2.3 billion people that claim to be Christian and it's one of the newest faiths ever. Jesus was only 2000 years ago. You do the math on that, 2.3 billion in 2000 years. It's actually not hard math. I don't know what your dysfunction looks like. It doesn't disqualify God's plan. It never has. It never will. So it could be past trauma. It could be relational relational problems. It could be doubt in your faith. That's a really real thing. It could be health problems, family dilemmas, insecurity, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, pregnancy problems. This list could go on forever. But what we're seeing is that major dysfunction is here and yet it's a huge part of God's plan. What dysfunction do you have in your life currently that you didn't walk into this room realizing Phil was gonna tell you it might be part of God's perfect plan? So are you willing to see how God is working amidst your dysfunction? I love the metaphor of, of storms. Like God never, ever, ever, anywhere in scripture says anything close to he wants to pull you out of the storm, to move you around it. No, he constantly says things like, I'm gonna sit in the rain with you. Like when they were on the boat and they're like, Lord, do you even care? Like we're going to die. And he was like, bruh, I'm going to walk on water in the storm. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the type of dude Jesus was. He was like, "You w-, John 16, in this world you will find trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. When did we get this cheesy like love idea of faith that it means everything's going to be beautiful for you? This is why so many people walk away from it because they didn't know what they were signing up for. So they said, I, I like this idea of Jesus, and I want to come in. Well, the minute everything's not perfect and honky dory and I see one Christian do something wrong, I'm out because you're a hypocrite and this is fake. No, you expected the wrong thing. Jesus is in your storm. He's in your dysfunction. He's walking you. Man, some of y'all, he's right next to you, and you just haven't grabbed his hand yet. He's always been there. You just aren't looking. Man, and that's not condemnation on anybody because I wonder how many times in my life I'm walking through something. I'm struggling with something. I'm doubting something. And he's right here trying to tell me. He's trying to lift me up. He's trying to be my helper, my provider. And I'm just not listening. And you know what? Dysfunction is it it brings that distraction. Let me tell you something about the devil. We don't even like to talk about him too much because he's not worth a lot of our time. But he is real. Can I tell you something? The thing he does is try to distract you because he can't do anything else. He throws dysfunction into your life, wildness, craziness, chaoticness. He tempts people to make decisions they shouldn't that are going to hurt other people. And you know what? His goal isn't to hurt you. It's to distract you from him man, he knows if I can make you sit on this pain or this doubt you have or this insecurity you have, and if that can just wrap your mind up all day, you'll be so concerned with this, you'll not find this, man. I I watch, I watch as my young people, man, I love that we have such a thriving young culture here. Man, we got between uh, the, uh, the Grove and Awaken, we got something like 270 young people in this building on a weekly basis. It's wild, it's wild. And a lot of them love Jesus and I love, and a lot of them are curious and hungry. And before I even get to why I'm about to say that, can I just say something? I said this last time I preached and it, it resonated, I could tell. Um, do, do you know that people just attracted to Joy. <laughs> Do you know why we why we got churches out here that everybody's frowning and it's boring and it's just like we're going to sing everything in monotone? Dude, that's not God. That's not who I know. You know what I'm saying? Like it says the fruit of the spirit are joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You know what I'm saying? When people see those, they want it. Man, you're not going to want something that isn't offering that. Our young people, I think they come and they're like, holy moly, these people are happy. I'm going to keep showing up. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe we should just start offering that a little bit more. Believers, you know what I'm saying? I know we got some dysfunction in our lives. I understand that. We got some We all got problems. Man, we are the problem, really, if we're being honest. But we all got problems. You know what I'm saying? What if we just started saying, "God's so much bigger. I'm going to be joyful anyways. Man, people want that. People want that. People, how about I'm gonna change that? People need that. People need that. I need that. You need that. Man, can we offer something? I don't remember what I was gonna say after that. I just went on that little rabbit trail. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit. Are you willing to see God as working amidst your dysfunction? This story is, is nothing but awkward and weird, and yet it's God's redemptive story. Oh man, what if we started, what if we started walking through the hard parts of life and, and literally proclaiming this is part of God's redemptive story? That would just change everything. Man, people be asking like all like Phil, how are you always so like positive and happy? <laughs> are we reading the same book? For real, man, how are you not? I'm asking an honest question. I'm asking an honest question. If if the joy of the Lord doesn't naturally flow through you in good and bad times, I just wonder, do you know him? That's not a knock on anybody. That's not a knock on anybody. That's an invitation. I'm sending this straight to your door, people. Come on. Are you willing to see? I'm sweating, come on. Are you willing to see that God viewed that through the lens of God, like viewed through the God's lenses, like man, his opticals, you know what I'm saying? This dysfunction in your life may be way bigger, a way bigger story than you realize. A way bigger story than you realize. Maybe uh yeah, for this story, a cool little like nerd sidebar, you know, for my biblical people in the room, the ones who got some Bible nerds with me. If you're like, well, Phil, this story, I've never seen it as just dysfunction. In kids' ministry, when I was eight, we drew Jacob and Esau, and it was a cute story of God's covenant, you know, Uh, and you're now telling me it's a real messed up, jacked up story. I am, um, and I'm just going to further that for you. I apologize. In this story, Isaac was 137. First of all, of course he didn't know what the heck was going on. Dude was 137. He couldn't see, hear, think, anything. All right, well, if he was 137, let's do some quick math. How old were his sons? 77. Man, I think we view this story and we think it's like this majestic handing off of a blessing to a a young able-bodied prince. You know what I'm saying? No, it was a 77-year-old man in goat fur, okay? There's your majestic Bible story. Can you just imagine that, dude? Like imagine the scenes, blind dad, goat fur covered deceiver, He's 77, man, it's crazy, it's crazy. So maybe what you needed to hear today is like, like there's there's something that God has for you. You might have to wait a little bit. Like these dudes were old and still waiting for what their future held. So maybe that's what you need from this is that maybe you don't have the dysfunction or maybe your dysfunction is waiting. That's part of this story too. They didn't get that blessing till they were 77 and the right dude didn't even get it. You know what I'm saying. So let's lean into Jesus and realize today that what you view as dysfunction very well may be part of his perfect plan. Amen? Yeah. Cool. We're one point in. Y'all with me? Anybody else sweating? Well, I'm telling you, bro, preaching's a workout for me. Preaching's a workout. I got to go home and take an ice bath. You know what I'm saying? This cord starts getting stuck to my back. If y'all see me doing this, it's because the cord's stuck to my back. We're a hot church, honest, open, transparent. We don't put. You know, we don't do the fake stuff. All right. All right, we're gonna keep going. I think the Bible teaches us about this dysfunction and God's plan and all this in between, right? And hopefully you're already resonating that your your dysfunction could very well be a part of God's plan. So, so lean into it and trust him and do what he's called you to do. But I think it's awesome to acknowledge this kind of like, we're messed up and he's not and we fail, but he doesn't. And you can leave today and be like really encouraged because Phil told me my dysfunction's part of a bigger plan and I believe that, so I'm gonna walk in it. But I don't know if that... Gives us something super tangible to leave with, and we always want to give you guys something uh, to physically walk away with and do something a little bit different. Sorry, I just burp there. I think the last bunch of chapters in Genesis made me notice a trend, and I think the trend is a trap. The trend is a trap, right? We read Abraham and Sarah, we read Isaac and Rebekah, we read Jacob and Esau, soon we're about to read Joseph and how poor dude's older brothers all beat him up and sold him to slave traders, it's crazy. Like this whole lineage is so messed up, but God chose him, you know, so he can do what he wants. And the trend I think that they keep falling into is a trap. And I wanna say this trap is geared towards regular church attendees but statistically speaking, it's probably geared towards about a quarter of the world. Because about 2.3 billion people claim to be Christian, at least in surveys. I think we know that that doesn't mean that there's 2.3 billion Christians. I would argue that if there was 2.3 billion Christians, we could all talk to three people, and everybody could have heard the gospel by tomorrow. You know what I mean? So I, w- I don't think there's 2.3 billion Christians. I think the world would be very different. I think there'd be, gosh, there'd be no, no so many things. Anywho. I think here's the trap. Here's the trap that we're seeing, all right? Knowing the word of God, wanting the will of God, but not doing it in the way of God. Knowing the word of God, wanting the will of God, but not doing it in the way of God. Let me explain. Isaac and Rebekah took what God said seriously. Like Rebekah had heard from God, right? And was like, okay, the oldest is gonna serve the youngest. So she, she knew what God had said, his word, right? And she wanted the will of God. She was like, well, if God said it, that's what I want. So these are good things, right? This is a believing woman, clearly messed up in a bunch of ways, but a believing woman who just didn't do it his way. Knew, so, so to be clear, this is for us. This isn't for the world. This isn't for non-believers. By the way, a little caveat, can we, can we, in Jesus' name, stop blaming people in the world who don't know Jesus for not acting like Jesus. <laughs> I mean, are y'all wild? Man, we be getting so upset about, well, look at what they're doing and look at this political party and look, I can't believe what they posted on Facebook. And if they don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Cause you can't change squat till you know Jesus. Man, I do not know a lot of people who have genuinely changed things that I don't know Jesus. I mean, I know a few, but they're very strong-willed people, all right? Vast majority know Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. So let's just stop doing that real quick. What he, who, who they're talking to right now is y'all, God's people, the people who claim to believe him and want to follow him. That's who they're talking to. Rebecca and Isaac and Jacob and Esau were God's people. Messed up as they were, they were God's people. And similar to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Abraham and Sarah, a Lot, Isaac a chapter before this. It's never-ending problems. We see over and over and over again people who are genuinely close to God but don't do it his way. And there's consequences. People, us, 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 me, who want the will of God, know what he says about stuff, but don't do it his way. And we see these ugly story consequences. And before you're like, Phil... I don't know, are there really consequences for people ignoring God today? Yes. No, oh, we're about to go there right now. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I think a trick of the devil, man, I just want to like lay out one of his tricks for y'all so you can start getting it out of your life. I think he wants to convince you that you can do that little thing behind closed doors. You can talk to those people the ways that you're not supposed to. You can kind of ignore him casually and do this, that, and the other. And you're not going to see these big immediate up in front of you consequences. You want to know why? Because if the devil let you see those consequences, you would do something about it. You would change something. What he wants to do is build an entire cultural people so apathetic to him while he can destroy things on a big picture. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Since 2000, when regular church attendance was at 70%, and now to today, when it's at 47%, in that exact same time frame, cited depression has rose 12%. Age-adjusted suicide has rose 30%. The amount of people with significant anxiety problems is up about 50%. Oh yeah, he might not give you an immediate like, oh, well, you're ignoring me, cool, you're sinning and you're not, you don't really take it seriously at all and you think they're, you might not even believe in me, whatever, whatever. Uh, well, the devil, he's not going to give you like, he's not going to break your face for sinning once because then you would never sin again. Do you know what I'm saying? He wants to hide it from you while he destroys the whole thing. Not convinced? Let's keep going. The percentage of Americans to claim that they have no belief in God has gone up 16% since 2000. That's a huge number, by the way. In that exact same time, NBC News this year posted a study showing Americans are the unhappiest they've ever been since the statistics started being monitored. You're telling me sin has no consequences. You're telling me there's not a direct correlation as we leave God, things get worse. Let's keep going. You need some more, I got you. In the last two decades, Marriages are now about half as likely to be religiously based, and if they are, it's very loose. We throw in a couple Bible verses because what we're supposed to do. In that exact same time frame, the divorce rate is doubled. Man, I got about 10 more statistics. I don't think I got to give them though. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? When we think, when we think we can just live life and not at least try to lean into Jesus, not at least try to do the things the way he's called us to. To be clear, this is not a call to perfection. We will all meet that or fail to meet that badly, but it is a call to, to leaning into him. It is a call to pursue him. It is a call that he's gotta be number one, and when we fail, we fall right back into his loving, gracious arms, because his grace is for you, his mercies are new every morning, right, right? But, but listen, what's Romans say? It's God's kindness that leads to what? Repentance, okay? So we experience the love of God, the grace of God, and it naturally makes you wanna change. If you have no interest in changing anything for Jesus, I, I want to challenge you haven't encountered his kindness. Because when you do, I mean, there's a reason, that there's a term in an entire theological like scope called, uh, uh, what's the Calvinistic term uh, with grace? Now I'm blanking on it. Somebody, where my Calvinist at? No, bro, not predestination. <laughs> Love you. Long story short, long story short, it's that God's grace, you, you can't turn away from it. Like once you've experienced God's grace, that there's just nothing you, you'll ever want because it's so good is so good. The term's gonna come to me in like five minutes and I'm just gonna blurt it out mid something else, I promise you. Now I'm just thinking about it. But I'm not gonna keep going with these statistics. And I, and I of course believe there's other factors that have to play in some of the degradation of the world. But I think to me, it is just so obvious what the number one like, reason is because there is a direct correlation between as people walk away from God, things get ugly and they're only getting uglier. And then we blame God, and then we walk away from him more, even though where are the messed up ones causing the dysfunction, and do you see the cycle the devil's trying to get you to enter into? So for me, it's not even arguable that not paying attention to God will have an impact. But, but if you'd consider arguing, well, Phil, those type, types of statistics just recycle through human history. We've seen these things before. First of all, no, we literally have him. And no, they don't. And second of all, either way, God doesn't recycle. He stays the same. So why the world is where it is, I think it's clearly due to an ignorance of the one in charge. Oh. But here's the thing, y'all, I think, I just think often it's us that are the ignorant ones. Man, God's people, God's people, the ones that are supposed to be stepping up, the ones that are supposed to be loving people, the ones that are supposed to be fighting to be holy, right? Knowing his word, following his will, doing it his way. I think we are often the ones, like we have to, it, we have to look here, we have to look here because it's, it's God's people's job to be the one changing these things if you sit and you watch the news and you wonder why nothing's changing you're the change maybe if we watched the news less and got out more there'd be less on the news to watch oh somebody now i think there's a reason uh, that we struggle to read a story like this this jacob and esau rebecca and isaac just Genesis 27 debacle Um, and I think the reason we don't like to read stuff like this it's weird it's messed up and we know they're doing it wrong right we read it and we're like what are y'all doing you're dressing up in ghost skins and lying to each other and trying to kill each other like oh my gosh man this is dude I could see this in like the Hallmark channel not in the Bible Why Hallmark's happy what's one of those dramatic ones I don't watch tv like that y'all shouldn't either but that's okay that's a different day that's a different day But I think we read it right and we're doing it. You're doing it wrong, fam. Like, man, what y'all doing? Um, But can I challenge you on something? This one's going to sting if you lean in with me. Can I challenge you on something? Modern day, today, that when we, we, God's representation, when we don't do it God's way to the world, we look like this story. Man, when we claim Jesus in one mouth and then we do a whole bunch of foolish wildness and I'm not, man, again, this is not me telling you to work harder. This is me telling you love Jesus more because if you love Jesus more, you're gonna start doing things different. I'm not saying just like, this isn't that religious talk of rules. We don't do that here because rules will not save you, all right? No amount of like prayers will save you. No amount of reading the Bible will save you. Jesus saves, period. But when we don't represent well to the world, even in the little things, man, y'all be looking like Genesis 27. i be looking like Genesis 27 to the world. And I have to say, I gotta tell you something. That breaks my heart, that this is what we look like to the world sometimes. It breaks my heart that so many people in this world have such a negative view of the best news ever because of the poor representation by us, by us. We have taken the most beautiful thing ever The the gospel simply means good news. We've we've taken the best news ever and made it look like Genesis 27 sometimes. I don't know, who who do you want to be? I I don't want to be the Christian that people look and don't want my faith. Are you kidding me? Man, if you represent God so poorly, there's a reason the Bible says that I would rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Why? Nobody likes lukewarm water. Stop offering people lukewarm water. He'd rather have you out because that's a bad representation. I don't know about you, but I think there's times I've done this and I've represented Christ poorly, and I look like Genesis 27. But can I tell you, I'm trying to look like John 3:16. Like I wanna be someone, they look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're broken and messed up and whatever, but you are joyful and clearly got something that I want and need in my life, and I'm gonna tell them his name's Jesus. I promise you it's not me. What do you wanna represent Genesis 27 or John 3:16? I think this trap we're talking about, this trap of being believers, being Christians who can just know what God wants and the will of God, but not do it his way. The trap is in believing that God said something. So we decide we're just gonna help God get there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna help you get there. Listen to me, family. If God said he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it with or without you. Your, it's your choice if you wanna be involved. Oh, it's your choice if you wanna be the vessel. It's your choice if you wanna step into what it's called you to. I'll give you an example of Revive Conference, that conference we just launched where we saw 23 regional churches come together. I almost said no to that thing. I was like, that's so much work. (laughs) That's so much extra stuff. I'm already busy, God, my wife's gonna chop my head off if I suggest another thing to her. And she almost did, (laughs) okay? You know, I ran, I'm pretty quick. And yet I sat in the room Saturday and I was with Jesse Forney and I was like, oh my gosh, this is vision come through fruition. I'm so glad we said yes. Are you saying yes? Are you saying yes to what God's calling you to do? Are you stepping into the things that he has for you? Are you looking like John 3, 16? Are you looking a little bit more like Genesis 27? Listen to me, in this story, Jacob would have been given the blessing regardless of what Rebecca had done. Oh, I think we missed that. We think Rebecca stepped in and she had to do it, right? Because he was about to bless the wrong person. So Rebecca had to intervene and do it in this heinous way where an entire family falls apart. Listen, if you think God's calling you to something and it's bringing destruction, stop now. Stop now. Because God will bring fruit and life to a situation if you do it his way, right? I think we need to see this. Jacob would have gotten the blessing, period. Why? God said it. And everything God says, he does, period. But Rebecca wasn't sure, so she stepped in. She she knew the word of God. She wanted the will of God, but she didn't do it in the way of God. And there was major consequences. And because she wasn't actively listening and receiving from God, trying to follow him in each situation, decided her way was better. And we get this whole messy, crazy 48 verses of nonsense. So I don't know what it is for you. Uh, I don't know like what you believe about God. I don't know what you believe he's saying to you, what his will is for your life. Um, and I, but, and I, I don't know what ways you're not doing it his way, but I just want to give you some examples that I think on a really real level can make this like tangible for us. How about this? A dad who wants his kids to follow Jesus, but does it via enforcing anger. A, a good intention, Right? something that God would want, but doing it the wrong way. How about the Westboro Baptist Church? And I'm gonna put a name on it because I think a name needs to be put on it. You've got people who are claiming the name of Jesus on national television, holding up signs saying, God hates fags. And I'm gonna say the word because that's what they said. If you think that's anywhere close to the way of God, we don't know the same Jesus. We don't know the same Jesus right? That's what they thought the word of God was. That's what they thought the will of God was done horribly outside the way of God. How about this one? A church who wants to introduce people to Jesus, a great endeavor, right? But to be more accommodating leaves out all hard truth. A couple who wants the biblical idea of marriage, but chooses not to wait for sex, Feeling strong in your convictions but allowing that to build resentment towards people rather than peacemaking. Oh, how many of us, I feel really convicted about this and God's telling me some stuff so I'm going to pit, just, just drive wedges in between people. That's not the heart of God, that's not the way of God. How about this one, knowing we have freedom in Jesus. That's beautiful, that's the word of God, that's the will of God. But using that freedom to abuse God's grace constantly. How about believing God is sovereign and in control of your future so you choose lazy, apathetic ways of life? Trusting God saved me from hell so I have my fire insurance card so I don't have to do anything about my faith. God's my provider, but I do need a lot of money in the bank. Man, we gotta keep going. I got lists for you guys. Whatever it is for you, the truth of this passage and so much of the Bible is that if you claim to believe this stuff, there very well may be areas of your life and my life, big and small, that we like the words God says, but not the way he says to do it. And they have to go hand in hand. We like the idea of God, but not his itinerary for the trip, his deal, but not his direction. How many alliterations do you want? The point is this, it's great to say I'm a Christian, it's useless if I don't follow it. Man, this isn't like, you could go to some mega churches, man, and you're not going to hear a message, anything like this. Why? Because this is hard teaching. It's biblical hard teaching. And and we think it'll scare people away. And I think it's going to draw people in. I think the truth and the, the true truth and grace of God is the most attractive thing in the entire world. I think there's a reason we got these massive mega churches that preach like feel good messages every single week. And that's wonderful. And everybody leaves like feeling great about themselves, but there is no life change Those people come through one storm and they're out. Man, I want to give you meat to chew on. Let's be clear. I fail at this. You fail at this. There are times that I straight up ignore him, disobey him. There are times that I I just don't act like my faith is a priority. So there is just grace on you. There is grace on you. God, his love has never depended on anything we do never depended on anything we do. We don't get loved less because we do bad. We don't get loved more because we do good. That is not anywhere in the Bible. But what is true is that when we know we're loved, we go love. When we know true love, we're changed. Let's be challenged to put some feet on our faith, family. Put some feet on your faith and go walk out the ways of God that he's calling you to do. Turn to a neighbor real quick, high five and say, put some feet on it. Put some feet on it. All right, y'all, I'm closing with this. I'm closing with this. There's one more place I felt God brought me, just a five-minute little, I think it was worth it. But there's one dynamic, it's kind of funny. There's one dynamic that kept sticking out to me and I wasn't sure why. And I was sitting with Pastor Ben and we were prepping this and we kind of felt God carving a point here. But I'm just gonna read these two verses to you. It's literally sandwiching our passage, okay? you know, 26 verse 34 and then 27 verse 46. Look what they say. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Biri the the Hittite and also base math, uh, name recommendation, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And then look at the very last verse in this passage, same passage. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women, my daughter-in-laws. Like, I dislike you so much, I'm disgusted with living. If Jacob takes a wife from among them, uh, the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here's where we're just going to be full transparent. You have to put your, how many of y'all got in-law problems? Come on, don't put your hands up. If you're sitting next to them, just wink really quick. Wink with the eye that's away from them. Six, seven, eight, ten, Okay. I mean, I think there's just, I mean, there, you know, we all get it. Anybody that's married in the room and, you know, maybe you got kids getting married, but you got you got married or maybe you got generations this, I don't know. Uh, but you got in-laws, right? In-laws are just such an interesting thing, like the whole in-law dynamic because you're taking one group of people that are totally different and have done life for 25 years and you're taking a whole different, you know, and then you're just like putting them like that, you know what I'm saying, and, and, you know, sometimes mom don't really like girlfriends, she's like, I really, I wouldn't have picked you, you know what I'm saying, I gotta deal with it now, but I wouldn't have picked you, and then, you know, dad is just, he's on the couch, just like, I mean, whatever, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, I guess, you know, just kidding, dads don't be like that, but like, you know, and maybe you, you've had the dynamic, maybe you're in the room, and you've had kids get married, and You know, shoot, we're a hot church, so, like, you didn't totally agree with who they chose. You got to make it work type of thing. You know, there's just, there's obviously an interestingly uh, uh, dynamic that comes with in-laws. And it's funny, we're not going to talk about that. I just think it's hilarious. Like, if my in-laws came to me and my mother-in-law just looked me in the face and was like, my life's really not worth living because of you, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I have never once been so offended in my life. You know, if my father-in-law came up to me and was like, son-in-law, you grieve me. <laughs> I would be like, excuse you? You grieve me! Like, in all honesty, it's funny, like with me and me and Jess, I feel like we've gotten to the point where my parents like her better than me, <laughs> for real. My mom just doesn't even text me anymore. She just goes right to her. And then she had the the nerve recently be like, you don't talk to me. And I'd be like, you only text my wife. That really happened, by the way. That was a conversation my mom and I had. I was like, text me then. I love her, though. I love her. Uh, In all fairness, I think her parents like me better, too. So, (laughs) you know. Now... This is obviously a funny dynamic, right? Because this is like, oh, we can almost relate, you know, and somehow these things. And yet, you know, culturally speaking, at the time, right, it really mattered who you marry. Pause fast forward. For a Christian, it still matters who you marry amen. a lot. But call yeah, one person's like, amen. My kids ain't marrying no heathen. No, ain't no pagans coming up in my family. Hey, you know what? Maybe don't say it out loud, but I'm with you, sister. All right. Jokes aside, that culturally speaking at the time, like your family, your family line, your religion, all those things that really mattered who you married. Like it could bring disgrace to your family. It could do all this different stuff, right? And, and while that's not as uh, relevant to today, I think we have to see here what's happening. So Esau, Esau marries two women, first problem. By the way, the Bible doesn't ever promote polygamy just because there's polygamy in it. God doesn't like that, but... Uh, Esau marries two Hittite women. Hittite women were the culture that they were in. It was the land that they were living in. It's not where they were from. It wasn't like God's people. It wasn't who God had instructed them to be building this whole thing with. And we're gonna see later, Jacob actually goes back. He returns, that's a good word, returns to the place that Isaac had gone to get Rebekah. Right, So we see these kind of correlating stories of, of the importance of them going to choose somebody uh, that, that can help them build this legacy. And Esau didn't do that. That's what they're saying here. Esau didn't do that. He, he just picked the convenient option. He just picked what was right here and he picked multiple of them. And, and it was bringing grief. Right Now, uh, while I make some jokes about in-laws and stuff, I, I think that there's a bigger like, implication here. Okay, and here's why. This is God's people, the people of the covenant, the plan who Jesus would eventually come from. And we see generations of them marrying God's people, like intentionally being with people of faith because it's really, really hard to be a person of faith and mesh yourself with a person not of faith, right? And this is a fresh example where Esau marries these women from the land they're living in, the culture, instead of from God's people or maybe what God had desired for him. This is not to say that these women were horrible people. We know nothing about these women. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point I think is just simply this. It's another example of Esau knowing what God had said, maybe even wanting the will of God, but not doing it the way of God. He did it his own way. So my last little mini point is this. Marriage with the world can never make us whole. I'm gonna explain that briefly. Understand that I'm mostly using this metaphorically, why it is massively important who you marry. Like if we truly believe marriage is God's idea and that it's the joining of two people physically and spiritually, then yes, you're darn right. It's important, but, but I'm more mean this idea of combining ourselves with things and, and being a part of and being involved with regularly, things that frankly can't make us whole because they're not the whole maker. Like they're not the person who can fill. They're not the one that knows your whole being and can give you what you need. And what we do is we marry to these other things. I'm using the word marry intentionally here. We marry ourselves to these other things that we think can fill us up we think can bring us whole. I mean, I watch this in our young people a lot because it is such a sensual world. It's so easy to grab that next thing. It's so easy to find boo. It's so easy to shoot that Snapchat out that you're, you're going to make you feel good for two whole seconds. It's so easy to pull that stuff on the screen you're not supposed to watch. You know what I'm saying? Fill in the blank, with like to take that substance, that friendship, that relationship, uh, you know, like that language you shouldn't be doing, that lust, those addictions, those bad habits, man, this list could go on forever. But whatever it is, there's times I believe we marry ourselves to them in an unhealthy way that just like Rebecca experiences will bring us great. Grief. Grief. This ties right back into this idea of dysfunction and not doing things the way of God and how there will be consequences, right? And we're looking to these things for wholeness or fulfillment or comfort or numbing or fun when they can't make us whole. I want to ask you guys a question. When you look around the world right now and your friend groups and your jobs and your schools and your families, does the average person seem whole right now? It's just not close, man. People are struggling, floundering. And it's not just because of COVID. Man, I think we blame, like we've used that as a scapegoat, you know, where it's like, oh, well, that's why people are struggling right now. No, 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 no. It, uh, it, it, just, it just uncovered an underlying condition. Because we didn't know, we didn't know what we needed to begin with. It's just emphasized it. And we have people struggling, people aren't whole. Psalm so 86, 11 says this, give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. What's that saying? What's that saying? That's saying that you, you, we can't truly like connect fully to God, fear God, love God when our heart is divided. The Bible says things like you can't serve more than one master because you're going to hate one and love the other. We're pulled by these things, I think, the same way Esau was here, that just seem convenient in the moment. They seem good, and we marry ourselves to them. We invest in them. We give a lot of our time and emotion and even money to them. And eventually, they're never going to fill us, and we need something bigger. So I just got to ask us a closing question this morning What's dividing our heart and making us feel far from Jesus? What's dividing your heart this morning? And, and can we just acknowledge, similar to Esau, we might just be unhealthily married to something that we, I'm not talking about your physical marriage, but I'm talking, metaphorically speaking, you might have to divorce some stuff, okay? Not your physical marriage, okay? Get some counseling for that. Counseling's healthy, all right? It's a good thing. But man, you might have to start driving subs, getting separating yourself from some stuff so that your heart isn't divided. I wonder how often my heart is divided. So what's dividing your heart this morning? What's the dysfunction in your life that you may need to realize God is still functioning in and he'll never stop? And what do we maybe know about God this morning but we haven't been choosing to do it his way? And the beautiful reminder is that while we have a role to play, our entire faith is that Jesus did it for you. Fully covered, fully restored, every failure covered, every hurt healed, every lost, a loss brought to fullness... So today, Grace Family, as we worship, uh, just one last song and we get out of here. Let's just um, lean into him. Let's sing that he's worthy of it all, realizing he is. Realizing he is. Lean into him and let him lead us into something new this week. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for you. I thank you that none of this is worth doing if you're not in it. I thank you that you're present in the room, that you're teaching us new things, you're loving us. I thank you that you always have. I pray as we leave today, we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, we would be reminded uh, of what you have for us and your love for us and how you're moving us forward, God. Would we be people who just begin to listen for you, listen to you, let you guide and direct us. When we follow your ways, it's so beautiful. God, forgive us for the times we don't do it well. And we thank you that you already have forgiven us upon that cross. We love you. We worship you now, knowing you're the only person worshiping. And all God's people said, you guys can stand and worship.